44 through 49. I'll read it to you and then I want to ask you a question. It was now about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Show of hands, who parked in the lower lot today? All right, so a lot of people in the lower lot. When you pulled in to the lower lot, does anyone know what the sign said? Don't say it if you know it yet, but does anyone know what the church sign says today? Show of hands if you know what the church sign says. Well, you're cheating because I sent you a, a picture of it. So remember how many hands we had lower lot parkers? It was both of you, come on. And two, thinking they have the sign, correct? Why am I mentioning this? Well, because it's a funny sign, but that's not really why. I'm mentioning it because we tend to go through life not noticing most things that are going on. It's just part, partially how we survive life. You can't notice everything going on. There are fun little experiments. If you took psychology classes in college, they'll, they'll go through how people miss things and they, they misremember things. And Well, what does the sign say? Who wants to take a guess? It's a, a famous church sign. I'm sure you've, you've read it in many other locations. It says, if ignorance is bliss, shouldn't there be more happy people? You know, as a side note, I'm not a big fan any longer of, of the, the Christianese church signs because it was not since the 1950s that there was massive revival from church signs. It actually is the original Twitter. Most people don't know that. Before Twitter, we had church sign. I just don't have enough letters for that one. Why am I telling you this? I'm not just rambling. Well, I may be rambling, but rambling with a point. As we look at this text today, you may be familiar with the text, but as we drive by the text, did you notice what was going on? Did you see God's majesty, power, holiness, wrath, love, grace, mercy, wisdom, all on display in these few verses, in the beauty of the gospel and the joy we have in Christ offered through his gospel in light of these few verses? So rather than walk out to the parking lot and I'll look at the sign to see if I'm right, why don't we stay where we are and look at the text and see what we have before us. So remember our Lord was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. Mocking, scoffing, reviling that took place. We, we saw all of that. We saw the, the criminal come to saving faith. And over three hours all of this played out. And today we come to the sixth hour. Anyone know what the six hours? Do you speak in old English? Mother, I am hungry for my lunch. The sixth hour is upon us. Said in common English, it's noon. 
Hey, Cam, will you bump the temperature for Mrs. Holman so I don't freeze her out? The rest of you I don't care about, but Mrs. Holman I care about. The sixth hour is noon. And it says at the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Ninth hour being 3 p.m. But, but look closely here. You ever been in darkness? The word in the Greek is skotos. Total darkness, absence of light. I have a few instances where I was in darkness. I'll make my mom laugh with one story. In our old house, we had a bedroom in the, in the downstairs in a far corner. And I slept there. I think Laura was visiting when we were in college, and I was sleeping down in that room, and I never slept in that room before. I was offered that room when I was 16. My dad said, well, you want that to be a bedroom? No, no, it's all alone. I can't be all alone. <laughs> but so I slept down here. And I remember waking up, and there's no ambient light. It had the best curtains. They were like from, from World War II England, where like no light could come in and no light could go out. And I woke up, middle of the night, must have had to use the restroom. I assumed I was in my room. I popped out of bed, and poof, I hit a wall. Panic sets in as I'm flailing around. I don't know where I am. You ever had this experience? You're in total, you're like, no, Pastor, what's wrong with you? You're in total darkness. Or maybe you've been to the country and you've gone out at nighttime when the, the sky is no moon and you can't even see your hand in front of your face. You ever had that experience? Well, imagine in, in Palestine 2,000 years ago with no ambient light, really, where with no electricity in reality, and it says there was darkness over the land, noon, for three hours. This is no eclipse. For three hours, darkness. We got crowds of people who are mocking our Lord, reviling our Lord. Gathered for, tells us here, a spectacle in verse 48. And all of a sudden, darkness. Utter, complete, total darkness for three hours. Why? Why is there darkness? What's going on? Here's where you can mess up Bible study. 1 John 1, 5. Anyone know what it says? Don't you love when, when pastors do that? Well, of course I do. I was reading Micah 3, 7 and Habakkuk 1, 4, my favorite verses. Uh, Hezekiah 11:14 is another one. Now you're thinking, is Hezekiah in the Bible? Uh-huh. Go to your table of contents after the sermon. 1 John 1.5, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, you know this, God is blank and in him there is no darkness at all. God is what? Light. Well, if God is light, it means the devil showed up, right? Darkness took over the land because God is light. Right? It's wrong, but why is it wrong? You guys remember Egypt? The Exodus will get trickier. I want to try this one out. You know the first plague? Doesn't matter. It's not what I'm going to ask you about. You know the ninth plague? You guys remember the ninth plague? Darkness. You remember when God cut a covenant with Abram in Genesis 12, is it? Yeah, 15. In verse 12 of Genesis, it says, 
as the sun was going down, so, so Abram had laid out the cut up animals for the covenant. He, God's going to pass through them. And it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Isaiah 8.22, and they will look, this is talking about the judgment of God, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Hell is often referred to as the outer darkness, right? Joel 2.10, the earth quakes before them. Huh, I wonder if you read the parallel accounts, there was a little earthquake happening here too. The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. What is darkness all about? It's about God's judgment. And so what you have taking place here over the course of three hours is God's judgment, God's wrath being poured upon Jesus. You want a gospel mystery? Those who die apart from Christ spend all of eternity paying for the price of their sins. But Christ, in three hours' time, paid the price for all the sins of those who would believe in him. How? Because the infinite God, who was infinite man, was able to pay the infinite cost of sin for all who would believe. It's a gospel mystery that leads to worship. We'll talk about that more in a, in a little bit. Darkness. Well, while the light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What's the curtain of the temple? I made it warmer out there, so I got to make it cooler up here. Remember the curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies? 30 feet high, 30 feet wide, and the breadth of a man's hand, about an inch thick. Knit so tightly you couldn't pull it apart. The parallel accounts tell us it tore from top to bottom, what's going on? Why would the veil tear at the same time there was darkness at the same time our Lord was facing the wrath of God? What's going on? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, that's Hebrews 6. Hebrews 10, 19, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by the new and living way he opened for us the curtain that is through his flesh. Here's what's going on. Don't go too fast, it's dark. The darkness was over the land, and the darkness would, would creep into Jerusalem, and as the darkness crept into Jerusalem, the priests who were in the holy place all of a sudden would hear, and they would look, and the curtain, oh my goodness, what's going on? You know, I wonder, side note, Acts 6-7, talks about priests, a number of priests who came to believe in Jesus. I wonder... Perhaps were any of them the priests who were intending to the, to the holy place at the time the curtain was torn? Why was it torn? Well, you remember all the animals that died every year, every month, killing, bleeding, killing, bleeding, killing, bleeding. The temple was the bloody butcher shop of the atoning sacrifices. Well, they all pointed to a sacrifice to come, a sacrifice who would be hung on a tree, nailed to a cross, 
God saves, God with us, Jesus himself, the darkness of God's wrath came upon him. And as God poured his wrath upon Jesus, he tore open the curtain that separated sinful man from a holy God. God's sinful people, more accurately, from a holy God. The curtain tore, and I think of those priests who, who, who would be there. I think of those, those, those priests who worked so diligently to stitch back up the 30-foot rip, to rehang that curtain, trying to suppress the truth of what happened. And I wonder, how could they rationalize that in their minds? This wasn't a, a frayed garment that ripped. This is, this is like linen armor. Literally could be bulletproof. It was knit so tightly in an inch plus thick. Wow. Pitch black at noon. You ever sit there and, and all, all of a sudden there's a power outage? You know, and you're like, oh, and you wait. Do you guys do this? Oh. And in our house, we're like, Charlie, he's like, ha, 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 I turned off the lights. That's not funny. But when it's really a power outage, you wait. You're, you're waiting what's going on. Or make it even worse, mix them together. You ever, you ever see a big storm coming in? You're going, there's, there's nothing I can do about this. I, I can't stop it. Can't change it. Truly can't even run from it. There's a terror that magnify that infinitely as utter total darkness hits the land at noon till 3 p.m. The curtain tears in the temple. Certainly that news will spread quickly. And then Jesus calls out in a loud voice, don't miss this, hung on a cross, bled almost to death, in utter shock, has been struggling since Gethsemane physically with, with what he knew was coming. Loud voice. Remember when Jim couldn't speak? Barb calls him the good old days. No, she doesn't really. But imagine when Jim's voice didn't work at all. If all of a sudden Jim just stood up and said, Help! You go, what? Magnify it further. Imagine a man hung on a cross, bled almost to death, literally at the moment of death, the moment literally instantly before he would die, should not be able to yell, can barely even breathe, and it says he speaks in a loud voice. How? This is no ordinary guy. And what does he say in this loud voice? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. For his whole life, he has committed his life to the wisdom of the Father and the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. And now at the moment of death, he'll entrust his life in death, his very soul, to the Father. How'd that work out for him three days later? Pretty well, amen? Do you see what's going on here? Let's not just drive by too fast. It doesn't really matter what the science says, but it does matter what the Word of God says. Darkness and dread and judgment for three hours. I mean, can you comprehend what this must be like? Anyone seen the news of the earthquake in Haiti yesterday? How terrifying and terrible and horrendous that must be. Infinitely worse, God shows up in wrath. What's the curtain doing torn from top to bottom? What's our Lord yelling out? And it says, 
Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, you know what a centurion is? It's a Roman soldier over a hundred soldiers. Don't miss who this is. Almost certainly the guy who took the troops to Gethsemane, the guy who brought Jesus to Pilate and Caiaphas, the guy who either personally punched, spit, and knocked a crown of thorns on our Lord's head, or allowed his troops, commanded his troops to do that. The man who stood by and gave the order, drive the nails into his arms and his legs. This is this guy. This is one who, who was involved in the casting of lots for his clothes, who may be said to himself, you're the Christ, go ahead and save yourself, big boy. The same guy. Now look what he says all of a sudden. Certainly this man was innocent. The word innocent, I don't like it there. Me, the Bible editor. God, you chose the wrong word. No, that's not what I'm saying. The, the word innocent in Greek, dikaios, means righteous or just. He's not saying this man didn't do what he was accused of. No, he's saying something bigger. He's saying this man has never done anything wrong. This man is always just and right, totally and completely pure and innocent. Mark tells us, he calls, he says, surely this is the Son of God. How does he know? How does he know all of a sudden who Jesus is when he didn't know before? How does he recognize the sinlessness and divinity of Christ? Grace, faith entrusted to him. Is this man saved? It sure seems like he was. How could he make such a radical change? A miraculous darkening of the sky, a miraculous tearing of the curtain, a miraculous shouting out of Father into your hands, I commit my spirit, a miraculous act of Jesus being the only person who ever actually laid down his life. We can talk about that another time. A miraculous salvation of a centurion who hated God moments before, but a gracious God revealed who he was to him, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. What does that mean? And why do I sound like a racehorse with this thing banging around up here? Apologize for that. I have to hold still. What does it mean they went home beating their breasts? Well, they showed up for a spectacle. It says that in verse 48. A sick spectacle. You ever been to a sick spectacle? Hey, at me. Yeah, Frank. We're going up to the skull. What's going on at the skull? They're going to nail that dude. They're going to bleed him out. They're going to kill him. Let's go watch. Let's see if he really is the Christ. Oh, I'm coming. Let me get some friends. They're coming up. They're coming for a spectacle. They're coming to see a sick show, kind of like the, the Christians in the Colosseum being eaten by the lions. It always drew a crowd. Ha! Look at you! Ha! They're mocking from a distance. Sucker! Fool! Idiot! Blasphemer! They're just shouting and yelling and mocking, and all of a sudden, boom! Andy, where are you? I just went blind. No, you didn't go blind. I can't see a thing. Now realize, no one's moving, because you'd be banging into the wall, like I do. You, you can't break out the phone flashlight. Can you imagine how these people survived without phones, smartphones? Like, I, what did they do with their free time? No Candy Crush, no Facebook, and these live streaming from, from the skull. 
Yo, it's me and me. I look, I got a like. I'm at the skull. What do people do? So no phone light. No generators clicking on. No Generac of Jerusalem. Hello, I'm Chaim from Generac of Jerusalem. Remember the horrible power outage we had on Passover? Buy your new Generac for me. Kosher for Passover. No. Pitch black. They can't move for three hours. They're standing there in horror. They've got to be shaking. There could be what my kids know as a liquid fear. Do you know what liquid fear is? These people... And so all of a sudden, they go home beating their breasts. Why? They had an encounter with God. You know, some people think you have to convince people that there is a God. I don't believe there is a God. Well, let me explain. Stop, stop. If someone tells you they don't believe there is a God, what you need to say to them is, I don't believe you're being honest with me. In fact, I know you're not. Because God tells us in Romans, everyone knows not just that there is a God, they know God. Not in a saving way, but in enough of a way to know that they are created by someone, that they are subordinate and accountable to someone. They don't know his law besides what's written on their heart. They have a sense of right and wrong to a degree. But look at what happens. Did all of these people come to saving faith? Most of them didn't. How? They suppress the truth. What does that look like? You're going home and you're literally shaking. You're walking like you got to walk like that liquid fear. And you're shaking. Andy, what, what happened? Oh, I, I don't know. That was, that was freaky. Oh, that was God. Andy, that was, that was God. We're, we're in trouble. Oh, stop talking crazy. It wasn't God. It was it was just a long eclipse. Oh, yeah, 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 that's it, that's it. It was a long eclipse. Yeah, 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 it's a long eclipse. It wasn't God. But, but, let it stretch out a little bit. Before you know it, people masterfully suppress the truth. They suppress the reality of who God is and clearly demonstrated before them. We would never do that. We'll talk about this in a minute. Do, would, would we? And then I got the acquaintances and the women. The disciples who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Who are these people? We got the Marys. We got John. We, we got a small group of, of his disciples that hung with him. Why are they standing at a distance? They're, they're horrified. They're, they're confused. They can't comprehend what is taking place. They, they know who Jesus is. These are saved people. They, they know this is Menachem from Isaiah 40. They, they know this is, this is God himself. This is a promise of Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God. This, but he's dead. And then how... how Ah, and this is what's going through their minds. How? How? Were we wrong? Well, well no, we can't be wrong, but, but it looks like we're wrong. Well, what do we do? And they're, they're standing at a distance. Why? Did they, so they're not hanging out with the reviling crowd. They're, they're, they're over here confused, struggling with doubt, not knowing what to do. They, they placed all their hope in this man who is God and He's dead. 
They stood at a distance watching these things. What do you do with this text? Well, I think the first thing you do is you start with, with that healthy fear of God. You, you start with a recognition that Jesus came to die to save people from the wrath of God. Well, I don't think God is wrathful. I don't care, says God, not me. I think unicorns are real. That's great. They're not. God is wrathful and holy and just. And God will judge all people. And if you spend enough time walking around talking to people, they will tell you that's not true. Go talk to Anthony, my good friend who is live streaming. My friends, God is also gracious. Why didn't he pour his wrath on the Roman soldiers? Why didn't he pour his wrath on the Jewish leaders who, who, who had the kangaroo courts that led to our Lord's death? Why didn't he pour his wrath on the jeering and mocking crowds? Why didn't he? Because he chose to pour it on Jesus so he could offer salvation to them. Why? Well, that's called love. All you need is love. Do you ever notice? The great songs and the great Disney movies and the great any movie, they're all the gospel distorted and twisted nasty. Tina Turner, what's love got to do, got to do with it? You know what? Love's got everything to do with it. Do you ever notice that? Yeah, and they all lived happily ever after. Some did. Those who trusted it. You ever notice this? We use the word love so easily and casually. God uses it in a very different way. We say, we say to our kids, I love you. We, we, we say to our, our friends, I love you. Men, we do the side hugs, love you, brother. Ladies do the kissing, we love you. God says, I'll show my love to you by this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for us, for you. It's a little bit different. See, one, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you ever marvel at that reality of what we've been saved from? How about the curtain? Torn from top to bottom gives us access to God. I think we're maybe talk about this downstairs in Sunday school for a bit. Kim was, was asking a really good question earlier about prayer. You watch the news. It's an earthquake in Haiti. News anchor in serious, somber tone. I wonder if the teleprompter reads, you serious, somber tone here. Our thoughts and our prayers go out to you. And I'm always thinking, what does that mean? Well, thank you so much for your thoughts and your prayers, Mr. Newscaster, reading the teleprompter. But, but let's go a little deeper into that. If you haven't trusted in Christ, can you pray? I guess you can. Is God attentive to your prayer? I mean, think about it. I got a curtain in front of the Holy of Holies. I got Gentile Joey walking into the, into the temple. Oh, it's me, Gentile Jay, coming into the tabernacle, up to the Ark of the Covenant with my offering. What's going to happen? 
You're not going to make it. Even if you got through the, 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 the security guards of the priests, you go into the Holy of Holies, God said, uh-uh, no way. Shut your mouth, go away. Mama, look at boo-boo day. But we can enter into the throne room of God by grace through faith. But, but do you ever slow down and think, when your last friend may say to you, can you pray for me? I hope you will, because God will be attentive to your prayer, but not theirs in the same way. They don't have access to God, do they? The world presumes that well, when I die, I go to be with God. Well, you do, but just, just careful. It's not quite how you think. Are you reconciled to God or an enemy of God? And do you see the love of God that he reconciles enemies? Do you see the, the privileges that we have that when we pray, we talk directly not just to God, but God who is our Father? There's no more curtain? Look at the difference. For, for thousands of years, the Jewish people had to offer sacrifices. They had to pray through a high priest, the only one who could go into the, into the Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle or the temple. There was always a human mediator between them and God. They had the prophets who would, who would speak to God for them. You're a royal nation, a holy priesthood. We, we represent God to the people and the people to God. We are the priesthood as believers. In the past, we were through a priesthood. Not only that, God dwells in us. But, but we can so easily and casually forget these great truths, can't we? We, we worship a God who saves, like we look at the centurion, but we, we forget so easily. We, we can say so casually, oh yes, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. What? How do you say that so easily? How, how, do, how do you miss the reality of you are the celestial celebrity? Yeah, I, I don't know who's the most followed person on social media. I'm sure it's some strange, like, kid who lives in, 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 in middle of nowhere that does strange things, right? There's a guy on, what is TikTok? I, I, it's something. But there's a guy on TikTok who, who does like things more simply, like people make these hard ways to solve a problem, and, and he fixes them. And I was saw this article in the Wall Street Journal. He has literally millions of people that watch his videos. And I'm like, huh, anyway, why am I sharing this with you? Rambling with a purpose. Do you know how many celestial followers you have in Christ? The angelic host is infatuated with following your life to see how the glory of God is displayed through your life. They're not looking at Facebook. They're going, wow, wow. Things that angels long to understand. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. But even more than, than the attentiveness of the angelic host, God follows you everywhere you go. You are the apple of his eye. You are noticed because you are saved and secured and loved by him. Do you ever marvel at this or has it just become casual? How about these crowds who went away beating their breasts? I wonder, it's relatively easy to do, for a saved person I'm speaking, do we notice where we suppress the truth? Do, do you recognize that we all still suppress truth in our lives? Maybe you have a little, little nudge of something that you shouldn't be doing, but you convince yourself it's okay somehow. And you just tap it down a little bit, tap it down a little bit more. Before you know it, you're good with it. You don't even notice it anymore. It just runs smooth. We're, we're specialists in being able to identify problems with others 
but not problems with ourselves. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus says that. He says, hey, hey, why don't you worry about pulling the big old plank out of your eye so that you can help your brother with the speck in his eye? You're going to be better suited to, to deal with that speck when you see your log. Meaning, yeah, there's problems and you need one another to deal with problems, but, but our problems look small and other people's problems look big. You know why? Because we are fleshly creatures who are really good at suppressing the truth. You, you could, if you haven't gotten to this point, I think you need to engage more with lost people. You ever have doubt as a Christian? They're like, oh wait, this is not good. If you have doubt, it means you're not saved. So Renee, I've got bad news for you, you're not saved. If you don't have doubt, you have a problem. I believe, help my what? Unbelief. How do belief and unbelief go together? Well, that's called sanctification. You're saved on this side of glory, and walking by faith is trusting in what you know to be true and doubting what you know to be false, but you false, but you think might be true at times. How do I know if if 90% of the world doesn't believe that Jesus is the Christ? How do I know that they're not all right and I'm wrong? How do I know this? That thought goes in a lot of people's minds. You know how you know? Because God says they're wrong. God is gracious to give lots of evidence to show us why they're wrong. You ever have this doubt? Ah. I don't even know if the Holy Spirit really does what he says he does because I've been around the church for 20 or 30 years and there ain't a whole lot of conviction of sin and sanctification going on. Maybe Christianity is a sham. That devil would love you to think that it ain't no sham. There's plenty of sanctification going on. Now, maybe some people who call themselves Christians out there really aren't Christians, but we've all wrestled with these issues where the flesh creeps in and and bears. Well, here's what we need to do. We need to be aware that our flesh will fight to suppress the truth. So we need to walk by grace through faith to bring out the truth, not only for ourselves, but for one another. And then his acquaintances, the young women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance and watched these things. I'm going to land the plane, and my kids wanted to play a video of a plane coming in for a landing and bumping off the runway and taking back off. But I'm going to show them today that when I say I'm going to land the plane, I actually am going to land the plane. There's not 20 more minutes of the sermon. Maybe. I don't think so. I'm going to land the plane. Look at what his disciples did. Stood at a distance watching these things. Is that not, in fact, what we're called to do on this side of glory as Christians? To watch, to listen, to remember, to trust, and to rejoice. Watch what goes on in the world. Listen to the word of God so we can filter it through the lens of truth. Remember who Jesus truly is, who you are in Christ, what he has promised and what he has called us to, and then fight to trust him in that. Live by faith, not by sight, so that we will be able to rejoice in the reality that, yes, he is who he says he is, he will do all that he says he will do, and we are who he says we are in Christ. The Bible reads fast, but I got three days. We'll come back next week and and pick it up. We won't even get to the full through the three days yet. Friday, three in the afternoon, our Lord is dead. 
Sunday at dawn, y'all know what happens. Amen? He is risen. It's a long time from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, isn't it? It's a long time of waiting and wondering and hoping and forgetting, needing to be reminded of who God is and what he said and who we are in him. He said he would die and rise. He did. It's a long time from today to tomorrow at times. It's a long time from today to the return of Christ at times. It's a long time from today till we enter into glory. But the joy is, yes, Jesus will do all that he says he will do. And we are who he says we are in Christ. I know a story of a man who owns a shop who had no tomatoes. And why did God give him tomatoes? Did he promise I will give you tomatoes? It's not a promise I can find in Scripture. But he does promise to love us, and in his love, sometimes he graciously works with slow people like me to remind us, I'm aware of your tomato problem. I got a lot more tomatoes than you need, and I don't even need your money to pay for those tomatoes. And if I clothe the sparrows as I do, and I clothe the grass as I do, and I clothe the lilies of the field as I do, and if I populate your tomato shelf in your refrigerator like I do, how much more so will I care for you in the substantial, scary, big things of life? You see, if God gave rich tomatoes, how much more will he give joy and strength to get through a day of recovery? Amen? If God woke us up today like he did Charlie, how much more so will he cause us to persevere to the end? If God gave us a safe birth in physical sense for Brenda and Patty a couple years ago, how much greater the new birth we have in Christ and what has been secured for us, not to an earthly family, but to a heavenly family with God as our Father. So as we remember the darkness that settled over the land, similar to the ninth plague, as we remember the tearing of the curtain from top to bottom, giving us access to God, as we hear our dying Lord's voice shouting out loudly, we're reminded not just how he lived, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, but how he has saved us to live. A day crying out, Father, into your hands I commit my life. How did it work out for Jesus? Did the Father ever let him down? Did the Father ever fail to provide for him? Did the Father ever, ever forsake him? See if you're paying attention. Did the Father forsake Jesus? You ever read Psalm 22? Yes. Why? Because Jesus loved us so that he desired we would never be forsaken through him. Look at the salvation of the centurion. Look at your salvation. Are you that different than the centurion? Look at the crowds suppressing the truth. Fight to not suppress the truth. Look at the acquaintances, the women, the disciples following him in a distance and watching these things and think forward to Sunday morning. Think forward to the life to come. Think forward to the stories they told. Remember that day we were so scared because Jesus died and we thought it was over? What was wrong with us? As they turn now living in glory face to face with God, Jesus, you are 
awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for the fact this is no fairy tale. Thank you, Lord, that this took place in history. One can simply go and read ancient history. They, They can look in the Roman archives, even this very day, and read of the day in the past when the sun was darkened for three hours inexplainably. They could read the history of Phlegon, the ancient historian, who writes of this very moment in time. Lord, this is no fairy tale to give us a wishy-washy hope. This is truth. This is revelation in time and space. And in that revelation, Lord, we see that you punched a hole into creation and in the incarnation took on flesh so you might save people unto yourself. Lord, help us to understand what we have been saved from as well as what we have been saved to. Help us to live lives that point to the reality of who you are, not not what good people we are, but what a good and great and kind and gracious God you are who saves people like us. Not people who merit salvation because we're so sweet and kind, but people who are in utter need of salvation because we live our lives opposed to you, seeking to be the center of the universe, having people serve us as opposed to serving you and loving others. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we would be able, by your power, to see where we suppress the truth in the flesh, to have others walk alongside us and help us to unpack those suppressed areas so we might marvel more fully at the love and grace, mercy, and power you have towards and for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us be a people who watch, who listen, who remember, who trust and rejoice, For it is to this that we have been saved. It is to this where true joy is found. And it is this, Lord Jesus, that you call us to when you tell us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Our good shepherd, our brother and friend, our savior and king, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.